Well, this morning we're going to finish up the series that we've been in our four-point mission, Faith Church's four-point mission. Um, We keep every week, every month with our leadership team, we keep going over this, our four Ps. And so Darren preached that first one on our passion. Our passion is his presence which you might have found out a little bit today, right? We, if you don't have the presence, then you don't have anything. And so our passion is his presence. And then week two was the, the message I preached on our priorities. Our priority is people. And then um, today we'll be doing number three, but last week Darren did four, which was, is actually our final one, our pursuit. And our pursuit is bringing his kingdom to the earth. And so if you weren't here for that, I, I hear you had a lot of fun. I hope nobody got injured with his eyeglasses he was tossing about. Mine won't be quite so fun. I, he, he put me with the serving one. <laughs> it's like, oh, I know what you're up to. So I am excited, though, about this week three, um, point three of our mission is our purpose. Our purpose is serving. And so when I, um, when I was reading through this, I, I was amazed by how intense this word serving is. It's not just, oh, the person that's going to go back and wash dishes, although it is. But it has incredible meaning. It is incredibly intense meaning. And so we're going to just spend a few moments in this. And I was being challenged. In fact, yesterday we had my parents, um, my siblings and I, through my parents, a 50th wedding anniversary party. And so we had a, a big dinner that, that we put on for them. And I found it interesting that when some people got up to share that some of the very characteristics that got them through 50 years that they shared was that they serve one another, that they're committed to one another, and that it brought them to that 50-year mark. And so there's something in this serving that is very powerful. And so we're going to just begin today in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Our kids have been going through this message as well. Faith has been back there taking them through our four-point mission as well, and so we've been excited for them to walk through this. She takes our notes and converts them to child-likeness, so some of you might actually prefer that. I don't know. (laughs) You can join her. (laughs) Galatians 5, 13 through 14. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And we talked a little bit about this this second commandment when we talked about our priority being people. Because the, the presence is what, number one, love the Lord your God. Priority is people. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And that vein continues down to really now, how are we loving? And so we get back into that verse, love, that command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so just as we had to define when we were going over the priority, we said, who defines 
our priorities, right? We had to ask that question of who it is that's divining the priorities of my life. Is it me? Is it God? Is it his word? It's the question to ask. In the same fashion, today we have to ask that question, who is defining my purpose? Who is defining the purpose of my life? Is it me defining that purpose? Or is it God defining that purpose? But that question has to be asked, doesn't it? Because it's an issue of lordship. It's an issue of who is in charge of my life. And so I'm asking that question this morning first. Before we can even get into the serving part, we've got to decide who we're allowing to define our purpose. And so this word purpose, it's very simple. The reason for which something is done, or the reason for which something exists. Why do I exist? What is my reason for doing something? These are all questions I have to ask myself. Because from there is going to determine whether I am serving or not. If I'm left to my own self defining it, I probably would like to just sit back and let others serve me, right? But I'm not allowing myself to define why I exist. Here's who I'm allowing. In Romans 6, here, and this is why I'm so passionate about his presence. For in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, this is before you came to Christ. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You could do whatever you wanted. Slavery was your master. Sin was your master. And so you didn't have to worry about doing the right thing. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed? How many of you are thinking, I wish there were, there's some things I wish I hadn't done, right? But now, for the end of those things is death, but now, having been set free from sin, who's been set free from sin in here? Yes. Having been set free from sin and having become, and here's an intense word, slaves of God, You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so once we were a slave to sin, now we are slave to God. So no longer does sin define why we exist and our purpose. Now God, we're his slave, we're slave to him. In fact, in Psalm 57, 2, it says, Cry out to the God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Isn't that good? God fulfills your purpose. It's not even left. He defines it, but then he doesn't leave it to you to try to walk it out. He fulfills it for you. That's so good. He fulfills it for you. So here's the picture today of the one defining our purpose. In in the Bible, it says that he is the potter, we are the clay. So if I had a potter's wheel, we should have brought your potter's wheel in, Alexandra. 
If we had a potter's wheel down here and a lump of clay on it, is that clay going to decide whether it's a vase or a mug or a plate? Does the clay decide that purpose it's going to become? No. The potter does. The one turning the wheel, the one shaping it, getting his hands on the clay, is the one that is determining what it will become. And, and so the potter is the master, not the clay. And in Ephesians 2, it lays that, this out for us. For we are God's handiwork. I love this picture because it's God getting up close and in contact with his creation. He's very hands-on with creating. And so we are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before you were even created, he had good works planned for you. That he, was, he had you in mind. He had you in his thoughts before you were created. That gives you value and worth, doesn't it? Value and worth. And so the potter, God, is our master. He is the one that defines our purpose. And so in the beginning of our key verse here, it said in that first sentence, you, brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Your purpose is freedom, first of all. That's why Jesus came, to set us free from the law of sin. And so before you can even begin to serve, you have to first walk into the place of freedom in Christ. You can't serve until you've been free to choose to serve. And so freedom here is your first purpose. You, you can't even get to the purpose of serving until you walk through freedom. And so now we have a choice. Now we're in freedom. We've, we've said, Lord, you are our master. You are our creator. We're choosing to follow you. And now that we have done that, he's brought us into freedom, and now we have a choice to make again what we're going to do in our freedom. What are we going to do once we've experienced freedom? Are we going to live it up for ourselves, or are we going to do what it says in the next part? Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh yourself. Rather, Serve one another humbly in love. And so there are two parts to this serving. Part one is serving God, right? Because we love God first. So first we're serving God. And I want us to take a moment here in this passage and look at this word serve. I don't know what's coming to your mind, but it wasn't to me what the definition actually is. This word serve one another actually means to be a slave to, to be in bondage to. So it's saying if I'm going to serve coal, I am putting myself in bondage to coal. I am, putting, I am becoming a slave to coal. And I understand that can be a, a trigger word for some because, you know, slavery in the wrong, in the hands of the enemy, 
destroys and kills and puts into the bondages of sin and evil. But we're talking about I am choosing of my own free will to put myself, and if I'm going to serve him, this is how I have to do it. I have to put myself in bondage to him. That's pretty intense. This isn't just about, oh, and, and I love you all, even here, I, I think of times when people have been sick and we take them meals, and, and those are all acts of service, which are wonderful. But even in that, we get to choose how often we do it, how much we do it, but the person that is in bondage to another, do I have freedom to say no? I, these are the questions to ask. What does it mean to put myself in bondage to another, humbly in love? It's a pretty, it's a pretty intense action that we're committing ourselves, that it's calling us to. And, and so we are, first of all, putting ourselves in bondage to the Lord, enslaving ourselves to the Lord and serving him. And this, I was thinking about this last night. This is, it sounds in that negative connotation. But the truth is, is that if I had up here, uh, if you think about like lords of England and they have their manor house and then they will have people that live on their land and that work under them, right? And so if I had one lord up here who was just an evil one, who taxed all of his people on his land, was a harsh man that was an unfair, unjust man, and the, and the people of his land were in bondage to him, that would, nobody would want that. If I have over here, though, one that was a just, kind, that his main concern were that the peasants of his land would flourish and thrive and be well off, do you think they have any trouble serving that Lord? No. And so it's not a negative connotation to say, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to enslave myself to the Lord, my master. Because here's what he does. When you enslave yourself to him, he sets you free. You are basically giving yourself over to freedom. And so there's no hardship in enslaving yourself to freedom. As soon as you say, yes, Lord and Master, he says, you, you are a son and daughter of freedom. That's powerful. And so we, we serve the Lord, and, and there's a constant call to serving the Lord in Colossians. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, here again it is, you will receive an inheritance as your reward. And so you enslave yourself to the Lord, and what does he do? He pours out reward and inheritance upon you. We read it this morning out of Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people. We are his sheep. We belong to him. And so we can come with gladness. Why? Well, because he's just going to begin to pour out his goodness upon you when you do. And so it is, 
it is no struggle to serve that kind of a master, is it? And so I wholeheartedly have laid my life down to serve the Lord. That's the first part. And people can usually do that pretty easily. It's the second part that we can get a little stuck on. And that is when we're serving man, when we're serving people. When we go back to our verse that says, don't use your freedom for self. Use your freedom to serve other people. As I was preparing this, this is the point that if you're going to listen, this is where I really want you listening right now. Because this is a point that people can really stumble over. How many of you have people that you love to serve? Your friends, your family, it's your joy, it's easy. <clears throat> I always give the example of our previous assistant superintendent of the Illinois District, Gary and Ann Blanchard, who have retired to Florida. But when we went through great difficulty in our previous church, Gary and Ann, second in authority in Illinois for our our for the Assemblies of God. Gary and Ann, they lived an hour away, hour and a half away, and they became our interim pastors. Dale was there for that. And our, because of some stuff with our pre, we were assistant pastors with our lead pastor, it got very rough there. It got very ugly there. And Gary and Ann, after our pastor resigned, and 10 years later, I will still weep about it because Gary and Ann lived this out. They came and they drove every weekend and they would spend Friday and Saturday pouring into us, pouring into our leaders, and then they would minister on Sunday for almost a year. And I tell you, I, I will do anything that they ask. There is nothing they can't ask of me that I will not say no to. Not just for the sake of the church, but they brought healing to my family and to my children. And they, were, they will tell you today, although they were there to help the church, they will say it, we were there for your family. There's nothing I won't do to serve that couple. So we have people in our lives. It is a joy. It, there, there's, there's nothing... She can ask me or he can ask me, and, and it might be a hard job, but it is not hard to me, right? It's a joy to serve them. Those are the people we love to serve. Those are the people it's easy to serve and bring us joy and happiness to serve. However, this isn't just what Christ calls us to. Christ calls us it just said to serve one another. He did not put any kind of qualifiers on that. Just serve the people you're in friendship with. Just serve your family. He just said, serve one another. Everybody look around you at people around you. You might see some in this room that just irritate you. You might see people here that you just love. And they're the ones you want to serve and love. And yeah, they can ask me to be on their ministry team. I'll say yes, because I have fun serving them and with them. The truth is, though, is that Christ calls us to serve everyone. Everyone. We're going to be reading this passage in a little bit here. But when Christ, 
was um, having that last meal with his disciples, and he he took off his cloak, he took off his garment, and he took up a towel, and he washed the feet of his disciples. Do you know he washed the feet of Judas, the betrayer? Jesus knew he would betray him, and Jesus washed his feet. The call to this kind of serving is the call to live offense-free. Everybody say, offense-free. This is a big deal. This is a big deal, living offense-free. Where you carry offense, you will carry bitterness, you will carry unforgiveness, bad attitude, you'll get grumpy. It will be a toxin in your body, in your soul, in your spirit. That's what offense will do. And the, the truth is, is that it is impossible, it is impossible to serve somebody that you are offended with. You might be able to serve them outwardly, but we all know what Jesus did about outward actions. He took the outward laws and he internalized them. He said, it says don't kill, but I say if you even, if look at, if you have unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody, you have committed it. Don't commit adultery. But Jesus internalized it. If you even look at somebody in lust, you are committing adultery, right? And so he internalizes these things. And so it isn't enough to just outwardly serve. If you're not serving in the heart, that's what Jesus is looking at, is what is happening in the inward places. And it's impossible in the inward places to serve somebody you're offended with. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing, but we're kind of sitting in this teaching for the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm gonna, we're taking our Petersburg people through a teaching on offense. Our leaders are going to be getting a more intense study. Uh, but I, I think that the Lord is wanting us, if we're going to truly live as free sons and daughters— that means we have to live free of offense because you are not free if you carry offense. Does that mean that I should never get angry with somebody or hurt by somebody? No. When, because I get angry. Now, some people are very easy, easily offended and some are not. Like, it's really hard to offend Darren. It's very, it is. It's just very, he is not an offendable person. He, it's hard to offend him. And even as his wife, you know, 30 years in, I've given lots of opportunity for him to be offended because I get very easily offended by him, but he's much nicer than me. <laughs> and so I remember, you know, oftentimes throughout our years, well, don't you have something that you're, no. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I know how I acted this week. You should be offended. <laughs> but he's not. Now, I, on the other hand... I, I can be offended. 
so when I become, and here's how I deal, when I become angry by something, when I become hurt by somebody, an offense wants to settle in. It, offense is where I take that anger and hurt and I carry it with me. I hold on to it. But when I become angry and offended, I've learned to come to the feet of Jesus, confess it to him, and allow him in to just do a work in my heart. So it's not that we are not going to be angry and upset with one another. We will. But there has to be a way to deal with that so we're not walking in offense. And so there's this verse in Philippians that says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Philippians, I have the verse 9. I think it might be 4. Is it chapter 4, verse 9? That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are, are by Jesus Christ. Okay, here's that phrase, without offense. What does that mean? Here's what without offense means. See, I think we have to get real, like, down-to-earth practical about this. In the U50 group Wednesday night, we were just going around the room saying, what is God speaking to you? What scriptures or what has Jesus been speaking to you? And I remember, Deidre, you said to love people more, which is good. But what does it mean to love people more? Here's what it means. This is what we have to do to love people more. We can say that and think, oh, I'm loving people more. But if I'm carrying offense, it's really hard to love people. And so here's what without offense means. Having nothing to strike against. Having nothing to strike against. So here's what happens. You go to serve Ash. I'm going to come and serve you in some way. But, oh, I'm offended with Ash. You know, he has an accent, and it irritates me. No, it don't. I really enjoy listening to you talk. If I have a fence against Ash, and I go to serve him, what happens is, is that my foot strikes against that offense and trips me up. And I cannot serve him in the manner that Christ wants me to serve. This is offense. This is what keeps us from serving one another. That person, those people that you, you go to do ministry with or you go to do something with and all you can think about is how they've, uh, how, what they have done. And it's going over and over in your head, over and over and over. That person, you're, you know, oh, I'm going to, Kathy, I'm going to come tell you about this situation. I'm not gossiping. It's a prayer request. I don't believe you for a minute. If you had to qualify it by saying this is not gossip, I don't believe you. I think it's gossip. <laughs> now, if you come, I, and I'll, I'll say, I will say this, though. I have some that will come to me, and they do, out of sincerity of heart, will talk to me about a problem because they want a solution. Now, listen, they're not going to all of you throughout the congregation to talk to about. They've come to some people in authority, a pastoral figure, 
to ask how to deal with this. That's a difference. But if you find yourself talking about somebody else on that team, oh, look at what that person did. Oh, that person just, it irritates me. There's a fence. And you can't serve that person if you're offended. You will strike your foot against the offense every time. Every time. Every time. You got to deal with the offense so that you can serve that person because Christ has called us to serve everyone. The Judases in your life. Who are the Judases of your life? They're going through your minds right now. It can be somebody in this room. It can be somebody at work. It can be somebody in your home. Who are your Judases? Because Christ washed the feet of Judas. It's not an easy thing to follow Christ. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And these are ways we take up our cross. We deal with our offenses so we can enslave ourselves to one another. Without offense, not causing to stumble of a smooth road. That's what I like, of a smooth road. There should be a smooth road between myself and Don. Nothing that keeps me from not serving him because there's no offense. Remove the stones out of the way. Build up the highway. That's in Isaiah. A farmer, if he is going to plant a field, has to remove all of the stones in order that something can grow and thrive there and bear fruit. And we cannot bear fruit where we have stones of offense. We have to lay down offense. I have, I've decided years ago I have to live offense-free doesn't mean I don't get offended. It means I have learned to deal quickly with my offenses and get rid of them. I don't want that load on my back. So to serve one another, to enslave ourselves to one another means we live offense-free. The other thing that I really wanted that was in my heart in this area of serving one another is this issue of generations. In Acts 13, Paul is preaching a sermon in Antioch, and he's kind of giving an overview of the history of the, the Jewish people in this message. And so in verse 36, he says this about King David. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. I love this. David, after he served his own generation, he fulfilled the purpose by which God had created him. After he served his purpose, he died. Listen, every one of you has, every one of us has a responsibility to our generation, your generation, to serve that generation. Every generation has to decide for themselves to follow the Lord, right? And so it's our response. I'm responsible for my generation. Graham's responsible for his generation. Alexandra's responsible for his, her generation. Bill's responsible for his generation to serve that generation. 
David served his own generation. So that's a given. My call today is that we would serve the other generations. That the older generation would serve the younger generation. I feel this one greatly because what we have left for them is our doing. What they live in now is because of my generation, what they have to deal with. So I feel a responsibility to serve the younger generation. That means that, you know, there might be a lot of lights up here. There might be music that maybe isn't something I might like. There might be, you know, foods out there that I don't like. It means that I embrace those things because I want to serve that generation. And the younger generation does likewise. The younger generation serves and honors the older generation. Where every generation is serving one another, that is a place of unity, and the blessing of the Lord is there. But we got to ask ourselves, how do I serve the other generations and not just be about serving my own generation? And so it's not an easy task that Christ calls us to. In fact, how many, I know Connie will know this, Salty the Singing Songbook. Anybody know Salty the Singing Songbook? I know. I, it's amazing. Darren and I were in a play with Salty, the singing songbook. And Salty has a song, If You Want to Be Great in God's Kingdom, Learn to Be a Servant of All. Right? And so the truth is, in the kingdom of God, there is a call to strive for greatness. Yes, you should strive to be great in the kingdom of God. But how do you do that? You learn to be a servant of all. In Mark 10, Jesus called to, this was the passage where John and James were arguing about who was going to sit next to Jesus on the throne. And all of the other disciples got irritated and basically offended with them because they were trying to get that position. So there was a lot happening in this moment that Jesus had to kind of bring a lesson to. And he did, he called, it says he called them to him. I'm just imagining when I do this with the kids. Okay, kids, I see a lot of arguing. Let's all sit in a circle here. We're going to talk for a few minutes. Jesus had to do this with the disciples. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you, here's this word again, you must be a slave of all. Everybody say all. Does that mean your best friend sitting down the row next to you? It does. Does it mean the person that you're sitting on the opposite side of the room from because you don't want to be near them? Not that I don't trust that you all love each other on either side. <laughs> all. All. If you want to be great, you must serve. If you want to be first in the kingdom, you must be a slave to all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Christ is my example. And I cannot do and I cannot be what he was not. And he was a servant. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. Even while I was a sinner, he died for me. He didn't wait for me to get pretty. He didn't wait for me to, oh, I love you so much, Jesus. No, when I was opposed to him, he died for me. And so in a moment, we're going to take communion. But I wanted to read this little story that I found of a doctor. And his wife was a Sunday school teacher of children. So she was in class teaching that everyone can be useful, that usefulness is serving God, and that doing so is worthy of honor. One little girl said, teacher, Sarah, what can I do? I don't know how to do many useful things. Not anticipating this response, my wife quickly looked around and spotted an empty flower vase in the window. Sarah, you can bring in a flower and put it in the vase. That would be a useful thing. Well, Sarah frowned, but that's not important. It is, said my wife, if you are helping someone. Sure enough, the next Sunday, Sarah brought a dandelion and placed it in the vase. In fact, she continued to do so each week without reminders or help. I love that. Without reminders or help. My husband and I have had this argument all week because of the garbage. He has not been taking... I'm tattling because he says he talks about me when I'm not here. So I'm tattling today. He has not been taking out the garbage And I said, I am taking care of every other household job here. I don't want to tell you to take out the garbage. (laughs) I said, so after nagging him for a week, I said, I think it was Friday. I said, I need you to come up with a system that the garbage gets regularly taken out. And this is what he said to me. You are my system. I said, I reject that. No, I am not your system. I don't want to nag you, and then you take it out. He said, yeah, that's my system. When you, when you nag me, then I take it out. And I'm not kidding. That night, I had said, I came home, and I had washed the dishes, and I cooked, and I said, I need you to take the garbage out. He got up off the couch, and he said, see, my system is working, and he took the garbage out. Listen, I love that Sarah was bringing it every week without reminders or help. She made sure the vase was filled with a bright yellow flower Sunday after Sunday. When my wife told our pastor about Sarah's faithfulness, he placed the vase upstairs in the main sanctuary next to the pulpit. That Sunday, he gave a sermon on the honor of serving others, using the vase as an example. The congregation was touched. The week started on a good note. And that week, I, the doctor, got a call from Sarah's mother. Sarah didn't have much energy, no appetite. So the doctor made room to see Sarah. After doing a round of tests, they sat in his office. And actually, he, 
he went to her home. She had leukemia. And so he went to their home to give them the news. Her genetics and the leukemia was attacking her body in a horrible mix. And sitting at the table basically said, there is nothing that can be done for Sarah's life. Time went on. Sarah became confined to bed and, the, and to visits that people gave to her. She lost her smile, most of her weight, and then came the call that Sarah's mother asked me to come see her. A small bundle, there she was, that barely moved. After examining her, I knew that Sarah would soon be leaving this world and urged the parents to spend time with her. That was on a Friday. Sunday morning, church started as usual, singing the sermon. The doctor felt enveloped in sadness. At the end of the sermon, the pastor suddenly stopped speaking, and eyes were on the back of the church. Everyone turned to see Sarah being brought in by her parents in a blanket and a dandelion in one little hand. She didn't sit in the back row. Instead, she walked slowly to the front of the church where her vase still perched, put her flower in the vase and a piece of paper beside it, and returned to her parents. Four days later, Sarah died. He says, I wasn't expecting it, but our pastor asked to see me after the funeral. We stood in the cemetery, and he said, I've got something you ought to see. He pulled out of his pocket the piece of paper that Sarah had left by the vase. And holding it out, he said, you'd better keep this. It may help you in your line of work. I opened the folded paper to read in pink crayon what Sarah had written. Dear God, this vase has been the biggest honor of my life, Sarah. This vase has been the biggest, what she despised at the beginning because it wasn't important, became the biggest honor of her life. Why? Was it the act of the flower? No. She was serving God. And she was serving people by bringing beauty to them. And because she was doing it unto the Lord, it became an honor for her. There's nothing there's nothing that you can do when you are serving God and man if you do it unto the Lord that will not be an honor. It doesn't matter what you do. It can seem big. It can seem little. When you are doing it to serve God and when you are doing it to serve people, there is honor in it. It's the very honor that Jesus exemplified for us. And we read this not too long ago in a sermon, but we can't talk about serving people without this ultimate example of servanthood. And as I read it, I'm going to ask if our ushers would begin to just distribute communion and if our team would come up. We're going to just turn this place into an altar of consecration for a few moments. Because Jesus, in John 13, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. So Jesus, understanding his power and authority, 
See, we even sing about our authority today. Knowing the power and authority, he got up, he rose from his supper table, and he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel, and he girded himself. See, Jesus had rights as the king, doesn't he? And he laid aside his rights for us, to serve us. He girded himself with a towel, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. I, I told the Petersburg Church, if we were in the 90s, we'd be doing a foot-washing service today. <laughs> Anybody? No, none of you have been in a foot-washing service? I was going to say. <laughs> that was kind of the thing in the 90s. I never liked them. <laughs> I didn't mind doing other people's. I just didn't want people washing mine. <laughs> so he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which was he was girded in. And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Simon was having a hard time allowing... Jesus to wash his feet. But Jesus answered and said, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will after this. I'm going to be cleansing you completely, Peter. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Right? We have to be cleansed by Christ, by the work of the cross. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, all of me. And Jesus said, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew, now he's talking about all of the disciples. He knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. The betrayer was in his midst. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments. Thank you. And sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He makes the call. He's saying, I'm defining your purpose right now in this moment. It's not to come in all of the glory of of, you know, the wonderful rights of being kings and princes and princesses and royal blood. He said, these are his last, some of his final words before dying to his disciples. And he says, this is you now, you, he's saying, you've made the choice to call me Lord and teacher. So if you choose to call me Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet, that means you have to wash the others, including the betrayers. 
including the Judases in your life, you must wash their feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This is powerful. And, and as we're reading this, as we're coming to the table, I want you to do this not in regards to the people you love and care about and get along with. I want you to come carrying the Judases in your heart and hear the call of Christ. Do as I have done. I have washed Judas's feet. Who are the Judases in your life? Wash their feet. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, and here's the promise, blessed if you do them. There's no fear. See, I don't have to defend myself to my Judases. I don't have to defend myself to my Judases, to the ones that have betrayed me, to the ones that have wounded me. I don't have to. I have to wash their feet. Actually, maybe I should turn that around. I have the distinct privilege of walking in the feet of Christ and washing the feet of my Judases. And will it require me to crucify my flesh? It surely will. Is it easy to do because Christ did it and called me to it? No, it is not. But there is joy in it because I'm walking in the feet of my teacher, of my master. And I am blessed because I do it. Am I perfect in doing it? No, I'm continual work in progress. And every time I'm wounded, every time I'm offended by somebody, I got to walk through it again. I have to hear the call of Christ to wash their feet. I have to say yes to the call of Christ to wash their feet each and every time. <laughs> but I know the blessing and the favor of God as a result of it. And I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade the blessing of Christ for the, for the, for the short-term flesh-appealing vengeance of offense. I want the pleasure of Jesus upon me. <laughs> And so as we come to the table of the Lord, there's a call in the word of God to examine ourselves when we come to the table of the Lord. And this is the place at his table that we deal with our offenses. Because it's the place where he was offended, where he was crucified in his innocence. For no wrongdoing, he was crucified. And as Jesus is in the place of offense, he calls us to that place to deal with our offense. And so Jesus, as we take up the cup and the bread today, we first take up the, the bread, your broken body that was pierced. And even as we ourselves have been wounded and pierced by many, we take that woundedness and we lay it on the cross. We give it to you today, Christ. As we embrace your broken body, we embrace forgiveness and we embrace the serving 
of those that have broken us. And we take, as we partake of this bread, we do it as an act of faith, as an act of saying, I am letting go of those that have also persecuted me, those that have crucified me. I'm letting go of them. I'm releasing them to Christ. Let's partake together of the body. And as we take up the cup, this is the cup of the new covenant. And even as we mentioned in marriage, there was a covenant, there's a covenant made. And within that covenant is that call for richer, for poorer, for, you know, in all in good and bad. We're committed. We're in covenant. And the truth is, is that as the body of Christ, we are in covenant with one another in Christ. And for good or bad, richer or poor, we're in it together. And so as we take this cup of the new covenant, we do it not just as a sign that we are in covenant with God, but we're in covenant with one another because we are one body. We are one body, the body of Christ. And so, Lord, as we partake today, we do so renewing our commitment to your body. Renewing our commitment to be to um, our purpose being to serve, just as it was your purpose on earth to serve. So let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the final thing that we're going to do today, and we have to wait for Darren to get here anyway, right? So. The final thing today, the team is going to lead us in a worship song. It's more of a song of commitment. And as we do that, I want this to be a place of consecration. And so I want you just to just fully, Lord, search my heart. Search my thinking. Search my attitudes. And at the, at the altar up here are some towels to represent the washing of the feet. And at some point as we worship, if you want to come and just take a towel as an act of saying, yes, Lord, I am consecrating my life, my purpose to serving you and to serving people, then I encourage you to come take a moment with the Lord and just renew that consecration. And if there's been a lot of you know, sometimes we just pick up offenses and we just need them just to wash it and cleanse it off of us. Just take a few moments and let Jesus wash you afresh and anew so that you're free to wash others. Amen. Amen.